I don't care if my dad thinks I'm a loser, but what I'm not is I'm not a quitter, right? I'm not going to take the easy way out. The harder thing to do would be to pick myself up and keep on living. You know, just like physical illness, mental illness can be overcome. We just got to inspire people to believe that. The mental health community and the firearms industry have spent way too much time running parallel to each other without communicating. It's time we change the narrative and destroy the stigma that we both face. Walk the Talk America presents Guns and Mental Health, a podcast for firearms owners, clinicians, and the curious public. Welcome back to Guns and Mental Health, produced and offered to you by Walk the Talk America. Thank you, listening audience, again for downloading our content. It's really cool that this gets shared around. We help to open minds and expand personal worldviews and uh, maybe move the needle and make an earth better. I am joined by my co-host, as always, Mr. Michael Sudini. Hi. How you doing, Jake? Excellent. We've got Tom Nguyen with us today. Uh, you pronounce it uh, Nguyen. You, you actually use the N. And then for those of us who struggle with phonetics, uh, sometimes we just say win. Hello, Tom. Hi, guys. Jake, Mike. It's an absolute privilege to uh, be on here. Thanks for having me. We're happy to be talking to you. you got a really cool story. and uh, I want to let you introduce yourself because our guests always introduce themselves better than I ever can. And reading off a printed bio just sounds awkward and clunky. So uh, we don't need any more awkwardness or clunkiness between uh, the two of us. We do that well enough on our own. So uh, I'll kick it over to you, Tom. Tell us uh, who you are and uh, what you do and what we're going to be discussing today. Yeah, so I'm Tom Nguyen. I'm the founder of LA Progressive Shooters, which started last year, June 2020, in the midst of this whole pandemic and unrest and you know unprecedented new gun owners. And I wanted to provide a more inclusive, welcoming, non-intimidating, non-judgmental space for folks that wanted to learn about guns, but found traditional gun spaces just too, maybe too conservative for their tastes. And, and not welcoming. So I, I wanted to provide that space for folks. Um, and let's let's be real. I mean, most of the folks that gravitated towards our community are formerly anti-gun folks. And, you know, liberals and aggressives who didn't care for guns until the past year and realized, you know what, I, I may not still like guns, but it's a good idea to learn how to be safe and responsible around guns and to know that ultimately, you know, maybe I should have one and, and you know, never hope to use it, but have the peace of mind knowing I have it. That's a, and then I got served. Yeah. And so oh, that's how we started last year. Yeah. I was going to say, that's a, that's a really rich area to, into which to, I want to delve because it's a hot topic, right? And I think the broader America, even those of us who own firearms still see it as binary. You're either for or against, and it almost divides right. on political or, or ideological lines. And it's just not true with second amendment. So definitely want to spend time there, but, but I wanted to let you continue. I didn't mean to interrupt there. Uh, tell us a little bit about like where you came from and what you do for hobbies and, <laughs> and that kind of thing, like, okay. a, like a dating bio. <laughs> yeah, no worries. So my family and I, we are refugees in the Vietnam war. We fled here in 1975. Uh, as a five-year-old, I still remember, you know, being in the belly of a U.S. military plane on one of the last flights out before Saigon fell. Wow. So, yeah, that's that's obviously been, you know, 
very pivotal in, in my upbringing and my psyche. You know, grew up as a refugee and immigrant here. Um, guns were never a topic in our family, forbidden, in fact. Um, don't blame my parents because of what they'd experienced as refugees. But as this immigrant kid trying to figure out how to navigate, you know, being an American kid now, uh, I wanted to understand my roots. And that was always the prism of the Vietnam War, right? I grew up watching Rambo movies. <laughs> right. You know, war, any war movies I can get a hold of. And as a kid, I glamorized guns. I romanticized them. I drew pictures about them. I, I forced my little brothers to play war with me <laughs> any chance we could in the backyard. Um, and so my gun history, you know, didn't start in the best of ways because it was a forbidden topic. Uh, these are stories that I openly share with my students now as a certified instructor is I let them know, hey, in high school, I noticed my dad kept a little gun in his bedroom. And me being a scrawny little kid that was always getting bullied, well, what do you think I did? I, I, would, I took my dad's gun to school as a teenager, right? That whole teenage bravado, hey, maybe if the kids know I have a gun, uh, they'll stop picking on me, right? Uh, one night my parents weren't home, I decided to show up to all the guys. Hey, guys, come on over. Let me, let me show you my dad's gun. Everybody gather around. Boom. And the gun was defective. It went off by itself. I didn't squeeze the trigger. It was a slam fire, wow. right? And to this day, I don't know how I didn't shoot my friend standing right in wow. front of the muzzle. It was miraculous. But that was my start with an actual firearm. That was my beginning with guns. And I tell my students it didn't end there. Um, age 20 in college, I witnessed a gang homicide shooting in a restaurant. So to see a human beings life taken in front of me was very traumatic. And then the third and final story I share with my students is a year after that, age 21, I got kicked out of uh, university. So, you know, for my strict Asian immigrant father who sacrificed so much to see his oldest son go to university, well, how do you think my dad felt? Well, get out of my house, you loser. So here I'm at 21 thinking, wow, I think my future's done. But what I could do at 21 was think back to my childhood fantasy. Hey, I could buy my first handgun. So age 21, I bought my first handgun with the intention of committing suicide. Okay. So, so these are my experiences as, as someone who didn't have a good support system around guns. Uh, I didn't have someone telling me right from wrong around guns. And I, I honestly, uh, personally share these stories with my students. So let them know, yeah, you know, all these negative stories that you may have heard about guns yeah they're true because i've done it i've seen it and i've contemplated those thoughts and that's why as an instructor today i'm so passionate about giving my students all the information they need to empower themselves to be safe and responsible so they don't go down the path that i that i took with guns are you finding that their response is favorable or do people get skittish around hearing such personal anecdotes that are so powerful yeah um that's a great question and you know i didn't start telling these stories at first because of those very same concerns jake i thought you know is it too much for folks especially folks that are already skittish around guns and there's a great uh youtube blogger named tactical girlfriend i think it was on world mental health day she posted hey as if you're an instructor you know you should be talking about mental health to your students it's your job it's your duty to bring up the subject. Like, don't be afraid to do that. And it was from her post that I decided, you know what? I'm going to share it because even if they're skittish around it, these, I'm not 
here to glamorize what happened or, you know, I'm just here to share, honestly, like I'm just a regular person and these are my experiences, you know? And yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be real with my students. I don't glamorize guns and violence with my students. I'm not that gung-ho, very over-militaristic instructor that folks are, they didn't come looking for me for that. They came looking for me because I'm the opposite of that. I'm kind of like Mike, right? The most un-gun guy. Yeah, yeah I'm, like a, I'm like that version of Mike. Students seek me out because they know I'm so much not about that. And part of that is really being real with students and letting them know, hey, this is owning a gun, learning. Owning a gun is not a casual decision. It's a heavy responsibility. Look at my own experiences, right? Look at all the ways it could have gone wrong for me. And if you don't take the responsibility seriously to learn to be proper and safe around them, you're just introducing a liability into your household. Statistics show if you don't train and be disciplined with your gun, the moment you think you're going to use it for self-defense, you're probably going to end up hurting yourself with someone you love. Right. And that's just being real with my students. Yeah. Yeah, Tom, there's like two things I, I want to unpack there. Like, well, one, I want to relate to you. The first time I ever shot a gun, it was a, it was basically negligence. A buddy of mine, his father was an ATF agent mm-hmm. and left his uh, loaded uh, Beretta. And I remember we found it and I, God, we were young. We were like eighth grade or something. And um, we took the magazine out. We were smart enough to do that. Right. Right. And then. I remember he pointed it at his parents' bed and he said, if I pull it, this is empty. Right. And I said, I was smart enough to say, dude, I don't know, but let's go outside in the backyard. And, and we went outside and of course we didn't know about one in the chamber. And, uh, you know, I grabbed the gun and I pointed at the grass and boom, <laughs> like, wow. and, and w- what we didn't take an account for is once that happened, there was like construction workers across the street. And then I had to like walk over and be like, that was uh, not intended for anybody. Like it was a whole mess, but like everything about that, my first experience with like a negligent discharge <laughs> of a firearm is everything that it, it's promoted what we do today. Right. And every time someone says, well, my kid knows, or, you know, this and this and that, I always point to this this thing in my head where I'm like, well, not necessarily, you know, you, you never know you have a gun laying around um, and something back happened. But the second thing, um, and I'm going to relate it to, I'm, you know, people that know me, I'm, I'm fully sleeved. I'm into tattoos. Um, When I first found this tattoo artist that I totally loved and and I let him work on my body for the rest of uh, my tattoos, right? I had all these crappy tattoos when I first went out and got tattoos. I would let anybody do it. But then when I came into some money and I started realizing the difference between artists, um, I I went online and I found this tattoo artist that was uh, doing a convention in Ohio. And I lived in Ohio at the time. So I said, oh, I'm going to go down to Columbus. I'm going to get work from this guy. His name was Conan Lee. He's in Indianapolis right now for anybody that's interested. Um, We're still friends to this day. And he actually made the Avidity Arms logo for the firearms company that I'm still an owner in. But it was was funny because when when I saw Conan, he was this like tall, good looking blonde guy. And and for some reason, because of his name, Conan Lee, I was expecting an Asian kid, right? Like it just, it just seemed like it. And it was funny because he said, yeah, I'm probably not what you thought, right? And I said, yeah, totally. Because there was no photos of him online on his website and everything like that. Um, but as I got to know him, I, I actually said the same thing that someone once said to me, you know, you don't act like a tattoo guy. 
you don't act like a tattoo artist. And what was funny is, is he had a banner that he would put up at these shows and it said pretty tattoos by Conan Lee. And I, I remember I asked him, I said, why do you do that? It was like, what's the story behind that? And he says, I'd like to make tattoo people crazy as they're all like these, these alpha, like badass bikers. And, and he goes, and I think it's horrible for the community because it, we, we have to be more inviting for everybody. Tattoos are for accountants, tattoos are for lawyers. And keep in mind, this is, this is in uh, the early 2000s, this is like 2001, right? Um, tattoos are nowadays, everybody has a tattoo and everybody has a sleeve, right? But you just didn't see it as much then. But I thought that's brilliant. When you were telling that story, you wanted to create a space where people felt safe um, because they didn't want to be taught from the typical alpha or, you know, the badass GI Joe person, whoever that is, um, you, we need to have these outlets. We need to have spaces where people could come forward and say like, I want to make it okay to say that I'm afraid, you know, because my first experience is shooting in front of our peers. I had to fake my way through it because I didn't have any training. My family didn't train me in firearms. And I went to a range and I watched the guy from Ruger and I watched the guy from high point shoot and I copied exactly what they did but I was crapping my pants. So, so I, I appreciate your honesty with your students and I appreciate you creating that space because I feel like it's important. Uh, and for what it's worth, uh, it, it is right. Um, it's not just my opinion. We need to be more inclusive in the firearms community. I feel like that's something that's come to haunt us, especially now. Right. And I'll, uh, I, you know, my, my words right now will probably get me put on uh, all these, you know, different threads and people will say, there goes Mike, the anti-gun gun guy or whatever. And, you know, I mean, I don't care at this point. I've armed more Americans than 98% of the, uh, the country, but uh, no, I appreciate where you're coming from. So thank you for sharing those stories. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a, it's a very common thread uh, that I hear from a lot of the folks who find me. I just had a student last week, her name's Nina and she went shooting for the first time 10 years ago, just some friends, some male friends, invited her for one, one of his birthdays. And even though she didn't really feel like going, she felt this obligatory sense, right? All right, it's his birthday. I should go, you know, that, that pressure, right? First time gun experience. And she told me even back then, even though she didn't know much about guns, one of the guys there turned around and, and, and flagged her and the other guy. And she just thought, wow, this is just so unsafe. And she was just so turned off by it. It took another 10 years for her to come around to thinking about wanting to get back into guns. And, and then with this past year, she thought, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a young woman living by myself. Uh, and she's Asian, uh, living in the city of Long Beach. She moved to a new place. And she found a swastika, somebody scrawled a swastika on her window like the next morning, right? And she's thinking, wow, like I'm already unwanted in this neighborhood. I don't know who did it. Um, I don't know what else they're capable of, you know, let me explore buying a gun for myself. And she told me she navigated and, and blew, blew by, you know, firearm school after firearm school because there was, she was just so turned off by that whole image of, you know, what the usual gun spaces are like. And she was looking for someone that was just the opposite of that. And so I, I find that from a lot of my students, they just, they just find that the over glamour you know, over glamorizing guns and violence, that, that very militaristic, hyper masculine view of guns is just such a turnoff for a lot of folks. I can speak for the mental health realm too. There, ever since I came out as a firearms owning clinician, um, yes, I 
probably lost some people along the way uh, who I thought were collegial friends or whatever because they have decided that they don't like gun people or whatever. Um, And that's a problem. That's why we do our cultural competence course. But I've also noticed a whole bunch of people coming out as well going, oh, yeah, oh, there's more people like us, mental health practitioners who own firearms. Yeah, man. Uh, And so that's been really encouraging. But to the point about being welcoming I think we, we, the first time, a couple of times we held our course, we held it at Reno Guns and Range right here in, in Reno. And we had 12, 14 people attend. And that's basically all the course could, could hold because we did a, a range component in the, in the class. And then, um, the pandemic hit and we went online and we found that we had 76 or 78 people attend the first, uh, the, the second course. And then the fourth, uh, sorry third course and then the fourth course we had 234 236 attend and i think what it did was it put the topic at an arm's length so that people who were uncomfortable coming into a a range facility a range setting a, a store setting could do it from the comfort of their own home and receive the information without that intimidation that is uh not often merely perceived but actual right it's it's intimidating walking into any new environment even if you're playing sports, you know, and you're trying out a new sport for the first time, it's really hard to walk up to the to the guy in the sporting goods section and say, "Hey, I'm you know I'm looking at baseball gloves," and you're looking at 200 baseball gloves on the rack and admitting that you don't know what you're you're looking for, right? And to receive yeah, that new information, and now with a with a weapon, it's even more difficult because of the danger and all that stuff involved, and and not to mention the stigma from the media. So it's it's definitely very validating to hear that you're having success with this approach and that you're receiving as much, um, I guess, attention and, and interest as you are. It's, it's encouraging really. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, the two words, the two D words that I like to emphasize in my classes and my students is I'm here to demystify what guns are. And I'm also here to destigmatize what they are, right? Because there is an absolute stigma. I mean, before the pandemic, I felt like I was in the closet as a liberal gun owner. I couldn't talk about it yeah. with my liberal friends because they like you, like your experience, Jake. Right? There's this uh, stigma about what a gun person is, right. and we need to move beyond that. There are plenty of liberal gun owners, and so my job is I I, I get the misunderstandings from both ends, right? I'm a, I'm defending myself from the right, the conservative part of the gun culture that laughs at me. Oh, liberal gun owner, what a joke. Right? I, I, I'm dealing with that. And then I'm also dealing with the judgment from progressive folks who are like, what's wrong with you, right? And I'm like, there's nothing wrong with me. There's nothing wrong with liking guns. And you'd be amazed. I, I'm still very amazed. I get lots of students who don't like guns. But their, their minds are made up. I don't like guns. I don't actually want to be here, but I feel like it's important. So here I am, right? And, you know, I get so amazed by the end of the lesson. I, ha- I have them take apart Glocks and put them back together. It's very hands-on, right? From knowing the pieces of the guns, like you're, like you're learning about Legos and Legos pieces, it really demystifies the whole thing. Oh, wait a minute. That's how it works? Is that simple? Right? Just demystifying it, right? And then getting, getting them to shoot the gun. And by the end of the class, it's very methodical, step-by-step, right? I make sure they're comfortable each step of the way. I explain everything, demystify it as much as possible. By the end of the lesson, some of these anti-gun folks, they turn around to me at the end of the lesson and they, they're like, you know what? This is a lot funner than I thought it was going to be. Like, I didn't want to like this. <laughs> yeah. Know? And I tell them, you know what? I've done a horrible thing. I've made you like guns. 
I'm sorry. <laughs> and that to me is a success, is a success story, right? Yeah, My job is done when I can take these folks that have had just seen guns as just this, you know, monolithic, you know, evil thing and just demystified it to where they actually can see it as a thing that they're not intimidated by it. They're educated about it and they can see themselves enjoying what a firearm is. Right. So my, my job is done at that point. Yeah, for people listening, if you're wondering why that's the case and why it, why it can be so successful in changing somebody's mind, and again, we're not we're not here to recruit people to to our way of thinking. That's not the point. Our point is to to produce information that may you may not have had before, so that if you right. go back to your prior belief, um, you can do so with uh, willful. Um, decision and and uh, an intent, not because you're functioning out of some unconscious belief system. And the reason I think that people have such a tough time changing their mind about things is because it's scary to admit that maybe you didn't know everything. And so when we can take the fear component out of it, and I do this for a living, I teach emotional functioning for a living. When we take the fear out of it, we take the suspicion out of it, it leaves room for the frontal lobe to receive new information. And when you can receive new information, that's how we progress in our ability to think and communicate and correspond with each other. But if we continue to operate out of an emotional state, it shuts down conversation, it shuts down education, it shuts down growth, really. Um, that's, And I'm saying this because I think a lot of people are curious uh, how we come to have our beliefs be so rigid and it just keeps us safe if we think we know all there is to know about something or someone or some topic then it, it makes us falsely believe that we have it under control and we like we like control we like predictability we like certainty the problem is you can't know everything about anything <laughs> at all and staying humble and curious allows us to continue to develop in our belief systems and again like we're not we're not trying to thump people over the head and shoulders and make them change their minds. We just want to make sure that you're having more information than you did before. It sounds like that's what you're doing with your courses and it's being so well received that they're, you know, probably telling their friends and stuff. And that's, that's really cool. Um, I, I, I applaud you for that. That's really neat. Yeah. Thank you, Jake. And it's, it's been a blessing for me because, uh, I never envisioned I would be a firearms instructor. If you told me a year ago, I would be like, what, you know, you're crazy. But these are the unprecedented times that we find ourselves in. And it's been a blessing to kind of pivot. I was a small business owner. My business got shut down because of COVID. And so to be able to transition to doing something that I enjoy, and also I see it as being of service to a community that weren't having their needs met, right? And so for me to do anything as an entrepreneur, it has to have that level of giving back to community in a sense, right? So for me, it's just doing my part, you know, and it's been a blessing. What was your yeah. business? I was in the arts and entertainment uh, promotion. So I did grassroots marketing for anybody doing performing arts in Los Angeles, like LA Philharmonic, Hollywood hmm. Bowl. You know, wow. I was very deep into just doing genuine outreach to communities uh, to make sure the arts are accessible and inclusive and equitable to all communities in LA. So when the arts return, would will you go back to that? I, I That's always an option, right? That's always an option. Uh, it's like this machine that got shut off and I can flip the switch on, you know, when hopefully when things return to, to where people can come out and enjoy the arts again and be out in public. Um, 
but yeah, the uh, the firearms instruction and just being able to empower folks has just it's it's truly been great to see it being well received and 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 helping the folks that that need it. Yeah, I want to I want to kind of talk about the uh, you know buying a firearm uh, to to take your own life and how you incorporate that now into your your mm-hmm. course and and to me I think that's super important and I know you've been kind of mental health shamed lately. Um, you know, you, we have a very toxic two way community sometimes, especially amongst ourselves and our own forums and, and chat rooms and things like that, where right. people go. Um, and, and I've actually tried to pr- uh, recruit people into the, to the industry in the two A community. And I try to give them, like I say, go check out Coley and Noir's page. And, and sometimes in, inside his comments, people see the fighting and they're like, nah, I can't, I can't mess with you guys. You know, it's too much negativity. Like it, the infighting sometimes turns people off. But, um, you know, going back to your story, uh, what made you decide uh, like, hey, I'm going to lead off with this or I'm going to I'm going to admit this because it's a big thing to admit because in our community, the 2A community now, I'm mm-hmm. not you know, uh, when people see mental health and firearms or mental health and suicide, it, it's literally like the elephant in the room that nobody wants to talk about, or we've been conditioned you shouldn't talk about, right? Because we don't want right. to against us. So, like, talk about that a little bit more. Um, you know, I, I don't want to. We don't want to fan any flames and, and give anybody a forum here that that you know. Like I said, I, I've seen it. You've been shamed by it uh, by other people. But um, you know, having said that. This helps. It helps to actually tell that story, I think. Yeah. Uh, and so I guess the main you know, reason I got in touch with you, Mike, was, yeah, you know, I, I didn't start out to announce myself, hey, I'm a liberal gun instructor and expect to be like really popular, right? I, I expect to be targeted from day one. <laughs> that just comes with the territory, right? Um, and I guess the more vocal I became in my views as a liberal gun instructor, um, those views weren't taken so kindly by more conservative gun groups who in the past few weeks have engaged in a campaign of, you know, criticizing me, uh, criticizing my methods of instruction, uh, blah, 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 you know, things that I don't even need to give time to because they're easily irrefutable, right? You can talk to you know, any gun range I instruct at, any of the instructors that I've trained under, like I'm not worried about any attempts to kind of belittle my reputation, right? I, I don't have time for the negativity basically. But there was a post last week where they added, oh, and, and by the way, he also bought his first gun to uh, commit suicide as if, as if that's a shameful thing, right? Right. And that's where I draw the line. You know, you can say all you want about me, right? But the moment you try to shame me for sharing a story that is a personal story that I share to help people, I share that to help students. I share that story to raise the conversation about mental health, especially in our gun community, right? No, I I will not be shamed or bullied for having shared that story. I will not be made to feel, you know, belittled by sharing that story. So that's when I thought was important. Hey, can we can we just talk about this and with the work that you're doing, Mike and Jake, so important to make that a platform. I thought who, who else, you know, who else can I reach out to to talk about that? Can we make this a teachable thing? 
you know, and turn this into a positive thing where, no, we shouldn't be shamed about talking about mental health. You know, we should be talking more openly about it, be more accepting and listening more to folks that want to share their stories, right? So other folks can share their stories and, and let's talk about it. Let's not make it, you know, we've been fighting stigma and shame for so long around mental health. The, 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 the wheels in our society are finally turning, right? To where because of your work and your advocacy and in all other parts of our society, we're, we're starting to talk about it. It's okay to talk about it. Yeah. Right? And specifically, I, wanna, I want you guys to know uh, these gun groups that do the shaming, they're, they're, they're Asian, uh, the part of the Asian gun community. And they're targeting me because I'm an Asian gun instructor that doesn't fit their narrative. And that whole shame and stigma, it goes beyond mental health. It's, it's just a part of, it's a very cultural aspect of many Asian cultures in that, um, you know, there's such an emphasis. Uh, you, bo- you both have heard of the, the model minority, what that means, yeah. you know, the model minority myth. You know, it's this, it's this narrative that as, as Asians, folks, as communities, we're, we're just obedient. We keep our heads down. We don't complain. You know, we're this is monolithic, very, you know, uber successful group. And that gets internalized in a lot of our families, right? Where your, your individuality, you have to sacrifice your individuality and your own happiness for the sake of family honor. And you can't talk about these issues, right? I've grown up in a family where there, there's been uh, you know, some cases of domestic violence and my brothers and I are expected to not talk about it, you know? So it goes very in line in Asian communities where if, if you're, it's almost like you're, you're not supposed to bring shame upon yourself and shame upon your community. Yeah. Right. And if you are, we're gonna, we're gonna destroy you. We're gonna take you out. And so, yeah, I'm here to fight all that. You know, it's childish. It's childish. We're, we're, we need to move beyond that. Yeah. And especially because the Asian community is so insular in that way, we can't have, we can't even begin to have healthy conversations about mental health because there's the stigma and shame is so strong. Right. So as an Asian person, you know, I make it a point, a point to be as vocal as I can. And I, and I will not be shamed for that. I agree. I, I totally agree. And I'm about to jump out of my skin because you're you're touching on some things that are real close to home for me, not only personally, but professionally. So going back to your, your two D's there, the destigmatizing and the demystification, that's, that's what I want to do about counseling, specifically with the gun world. That's why I'm doing this, right? One side of the coin for our cultural competence courses is to teach clinicians about the culture of firearms ownership and what, what it means and all the nuanced variations thereof, but also to present to the gun community that counseling isn't spooky. It's not scary. It's not something of the occult. And moreover, there's redemption. We're, we're a profession of, of rehabilitation, redemption, healing, progress, growth, uh, and so forth. You're not, you're not going to be the same person tomorrow as you are today. And the illnesses of yesterday are not supposed to be carried forward into tomorrow. And so that's the message. That's part of demystifying what it is that we do. Nobody's supposed to be in treatment in perpetuity. You're not supposed to be just going, you know, Tuesday at 4 PM for years on end. That's not appropriate. There's just like in the physical health world, there should be a problem area identified by a goal to achieve the, the, you know, the solution of the problem and then objectives, to those goals. And then once you hit those goals, you're done. Like you don't, you don't come back to my office anymore unless something else goes wonky in your life that you can't handle. So right. I, you know, I'm, I'm somewhat of a, 
a pariah in my own community, I think, because I'm daring to say that um, people should solve their own problems <laughs> and professional help should be more or less a last resort. And I understand that there's a hierarchy of professional interventions and so forth, but nobody should be in treatment forever. So that's that speaks volumes. But then you talk about the shame. And again, I'll go back to, you know, I teach emotional functioning and I've got emotional functioning videos on the Zephyr Wellness YouTube channel if anybody wants to check those out. But two, two emotions that are really critical to human success are shame and guilt. And when you feel shame, the message that's communicated to the brain, and we know this through research over long periods of time, is that you fail to meet somebody's expectations. And that's fine. Guilt says go make it right. Because as tribally oriented people, we're supposed to stay connected within our tribes and our groups and so forth. And that helps us to hang together against all sorts of things, uh, dating back tens of thousands of years to climate change and predator attacks and all that sort of stuff. So as we progress through, we go through our emotional uh, experiences, we make atonement for the the wrongs that we cause other people, and then forgiveness is supposed to be extended, and we don't bring that stuff up anymore. But when it gets out of order, and you put something like honor, which is this very intangible construct that families hang as, you know, more important than the reconciliation that goes along with wronging someone and then apologizing for it, um, it makes... It makes it so there's a shame-guilt treadmill there that you can never leave. And be, being raised in an Italian Catholic family, I am very aware of that shame-guilt treadmill, as well as the overarching, keep it in the family, nobody needs to know about it but us. It's like, well, yeah, but <laughs> what if the family can't solve it? And it's like, don't step outside the family because the secrets, secrets stay with us. And that creates a really toxic environment where abuse gets perpetrated and violence continues and uh, mental illness gets worse. And then ultimately people die, right? They take their own lives. They poison themselves with their own, you know, uh, chemicals in their body that they can't flush because there's no offloading that goes on. And so I I totally feel you on that. And I think that's the the important message we want to communicate is that we do need to talk about this. It's not it's not just a neat little talking point to say, hey, let's let's discuss mental health. No, there's like fundamental physiological, neurological, and social components that go into making someone healthy. And why do you want to be healthy? Well, because you want to contribute, right? We don't we don't want people withering away and not contributing and living lives in misery. You become a drain on anybody on everybody. And we go back to the tribal construct. If the tribe is spending more resources on you than you're contributing, that's a problem. You know, it brings everybody down. So I, I applaud you for that. Thank you for sharing that. And and I appreciate that perspective. And and it's really hard to to question the orthodoxy sometimes, you know, because because again, all those you know long-held beliefs about what and I'll throw shoulds in here, what should happen and what we should do and what you should look like. Um, it works as long as it's functional. And when it stops being functional, we got some problems, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Didn't and even drop the mic I on had, that. <laughs> I've had these conversations with my, my two younger brothers. And yeah, we've grown up in a family where we don't, we don't know how to communicate with each other because we weren't allowed to talk about our feelings. And it right. wasn't until our adulthood, well into our 30s, that we actually started talking with each other because one of us actually went to therapy. And it was the most macho of us. My little brother, he's like the alpha male, right? Um, started working out at 15 years old, bulked up, and was just the alpha male, okay? And he said he went to a therapist because he thought it was a joke. 
he 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 worked at a company where they offered mental health benefits for free, and he's like, "Oh, this is free. Okay, I'll take it." Right? Just as a joke. And he said the first session he had with the therapist was the first time he cried since he watched the movie E.T. as a little kid. <laughs> so, wow. <laughs> right? Wow, that's powerful. Yeah, that's powerful. And then my brother, and you're talking about, yeah, you're from uh, Italian Catholic family. My my other brother, is his wife is Italian Catholic, right? So, you know, yeah, he understands completely. And he, he has a therapist that he sees regularly. And it really wasn't until the three of us were all you know, seeing our own therapist that we start, we're able to start talking to each other, right? The, that, 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 that uh, manhood, uh, that masculine uh, duty of always being silent, never talking about your feelings started to crumble away, right? And I think as, as men, that was another issue I wanted to broach with, with you too, is, you know, a lot of what we see in the gun world you know, this hyper-masculinity, this, this toxic masculinity, you know, uh, we have to acknowledge, when we, if you talk about trying to talk about mental health and trying to reduce the most gun deaths, right, and gun violence, right, I'm always pointing out to folks, you know, hey, do you notice um, everyday gun violence is perpetuated primarily by men and boys and their victims are primarily other men and boys, right? Um, when we talk about mental health, as you know, I think there was a woman who tweeted something about, "Oh, don't tell, don't blame mental health for mass shooters." You know, as women, we go through a lot of crap, but you don't see us being mass shooters, right? It's not just mental health; it's men. Mm. What is it about men? So I think that's an issue that we have to address too. Is what is it about notions of masculinity that makes boys and men feel like their only outlet to conflict resolution is to reach for that gun, whether it's for suicide or whether it's to, you know, perpetuate violence on another man or boy. Right? I think that's something that we don't often talk enough about either. I, I, I love that question. And I, I'm glad you teed it up because I do have an opinion and it's not a, an easily digestible opinion that can be tacked to a billboard or put on a bumper sticker mm -hmm. because it involves what we discuss regularly, which is root cause analysis and mitigation. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think the root cause, and this is not blame shifting, this is just accurate attribution. The root cause of what you just described for men and boys has to do with, with media. And I don't mean modern media, I mean historical media and culture. When we're shown um, old Wild West movies and war movies what we're shown is that that's an accurate um offloading and I'll, I'll use a psychological term called displacement for our emotional functioning so when i talk about this um i say that anger is usually a secondary emotion and I, i'm not a big fan of the order of emotions but what i mean by that is that unless you're Harnessing anger in an appropriate way to go make change, to contribute to society or improve your life or change your job or whatever it is, unless you're doing that purposefully and with intent, usually what ends up happening with anger and the other emotion of contempt is it's papering over something more vulnerable like fear or shame or guilt or sadness that you don't know how to deal with because you were never taught how. 
And emotional functioning is not really in any curricula that I know of with any regularity. I mean, we've, we're starting to scratch the surface with some social and emotional learning stuff in schools, but it it kind of doesn't get to where I'd like it to get. And I, I have a prior career as an educator, and I still work in the education realm in some facet or another. But I I think what we're not doing is we're not teaching our our boys that it's okay to cry and it's okay to label accurately what it is that we're feeling. We're still getting the turn off the tears, pull up your bootstraps, um, hit him back. Um, you know, if somebody starts a fight, you end it. Uh, we're not <laughs> we're not teaching the walk away, and that's a form of masculinity. Is knowing that not every fight needs to be fought. We're not teaching. Jesus was a was a highly masculine person because he wrapped in all of the the softer, I guess we would say, aspects of human functioning, which includes knowing oneself well enough to avoid fights. And that's not taught. What's taught is this this stuffing down, and then that stuffing down can only go so long because your brain chemicals still pump because the environment is still throwing stimulus at you. And so those those chemicals need somewhere to go. And anger and contempt act act as proxy emotions uh, to let the brain know that it felt something, but it wasn't the right thing. So if we step down a few notches on this, on the continuum of violence from firearms and death to just throwing sand in a kid's face on the playground or issuing a, a negative condescending epithet, it's the same type of displacement. Now, displacement is a transferring onto another substitute object of our emotional uh, experiences. What we want is sublimation, which is kind of the counterpart. It's a healthier mechanism to deal with this, and it's a channeling into. So if you notice that you're angry because you got your, you got your heart broken, um, instead of going and like screaming at the girl who broke your heart, what you can do is go, I'm really, I, I'm really angry right now. What is this possibly papering over? And you go, well, I'm, I'm really just sad. Like, okay, sadness is what my expectations didn't get met. I expected her not to cheat on me with the other dude. I could go punch him in the face. That's probably not going to solve anything. It's not going to make a change. That's not appropriately directed anger. What can I do? Well, I can take my angry impulses and go lift weights. That would, that would probably be appropriate. But eventually I still have to deal with the sadness. I have to tolerate why I'm disappointed. And then once I've tolerated that to the point that I've decided it's enough, then I let go and I, I move on. And there's no there's no reason to level up to the anger at all. There, I could just live in peace. And it sounds very simplistic and it sounds very reductionist because I've given it all of 90 seconds to explain. But if you make a practice of this, if you make a practice of, of being, quote unquote, in touch with your feelings <laughs> or in touch with your emotional side, you end up living a healthier life where you're not stewing in anger, you're not grinding your teeth at night, you're you're not you know rolling thoughts over and over in your head, uh, losing sleep, you know that kind of thing, and then you're more productive, you're more lovable, you're uh, you extend grace more easily, and so I think what we need to do is parents need to teach their children how to deal with their feelings. Parents need to learn their own feelings, and and we need to teach when kids are passively watching action flicks, whether it be the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or um, He-Man or John Wayne, we need to, we need to sit down alongside them and, and explain what's going on and ask along the way. It sounds very, very hard, and it is because parenting is challenging, but ask them, what else could he do in this situation? You know, Very few times, I think, are we shown 
that there's an option besides violence and and that's unfortunate and i think that's that's where it all stems so that's my that's my little uh vignette on the on the short answer but there's it's obviously a much bigger problem if we're going to tackle you know something like culture it's it's huge all right right. mike did you have thoughts on that no i i you know it's very difficult I, i i do agree with everything that jake said especially when it comes to movies and everything like that um, I, I'm thinking about more, you know, I'm trying to apply to, to our, our group, our people, right? Gun people. Like I'm going to take our tribe and just make it gun people right now. Um, who knew that even Asian communities within the gun community <laughs> can break off. It just shows <laughs> yeah. you how tribal we are. Right. <laughs> right. right? Um, but I think about like, you tell this story and why it's so important for you to tell the story in my opinion is um, it's come back to haunt us, not talking about this stuff. Uh, the gun community holds first responders, uh, combat vets and active duty military. So near and dear to our hearts. We, we, we always throw respect no matter what, um, you know, we welcome them into the community when they're walking around gun shows and they're in uniform, we, we stop and say, thank you for your service. But at the same time, we've stood back and not talked about suicide and things like that. And now you're seeing those numbers just go off the charts, right? Um, And that's the red elephant in the room that I was talking about earlier. You know, for you to come out and have this class and bring all these, these green shooters in or, you know, people that are potentially going to, to, to get in this lifestyle for you to hit that right away because i'm sure many of them are like well i'm not even thinking about suicide but we all know that i could be fine now and you know later on in life i could come on come into crisis so i need to be able to prepare for it i I love the way that you you tell that story of how you do it because i think it's super important to to put it on the radar because if you don't what's going to happen is i think we're going to have a lot of people that are just going to fall into the same routine where Mm -hmm. We don't want to talk about it or that's something that could be weaponized against us. And I feel like if we take that weapon that the people use against us and we, we, we take it and we control it and we make it ours, right? We address it ourselves and they can't use it against us anymore because we're like, we're already on it. We're already doing these things. We have uh, firearms instructors that actually bring this up because I guarantee you um, that so-called other side that hates us or, do, or doesn't understand us none of them ever think that firearms trainers actually bring up the subject of suicide mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah. or mental health. Yeah. So. It's absolutely threatening. And, you know, just to kind of stay a little bit more on topic about how masculinity affects it, you know, and coming off what Jake has said and what you just said, Mike, how, who do you worship in the gun world? Right. Who, who do we worship? And it's usually, you know, these very macho, hyper-masculine, alpha male, you know, the warrior, right? And, you know, as men, you know, as, even as boys, and, and we're talking about when we were little kids, we wanted to fit in, right? We didn't want to be the, 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 the standout kid that was always getting picked on. We just wanted to be, just want to fit in, right? And that peer pressure is so part of our human nature, right? And even as children, we sense that. And what's, what's one of the strongest forms of of peer pressure is among men that male peer pressure how do men feel you know how do they get their status is from their peers right 
You view your status as a man by the kind of respect you command from other fellow men. It's almost like your whole male identity rides on it, rides on what other men feel about you, especially the alpha males, right? If you get their respect, you're good. No one's going to mess with you. No one's going to question you, right? So we, we, we got to get into topics of why is it such a rigid uh, sense of masculinity where we all have to feel like we have to get, you know, nodding approval from fellow men. And not and not buck that trend, and and you know what I mean. I, th- I think we need to redefine what masculinity is. It's an, it, and go from the artificial, externally defined masculinity, which is the mm-hmm. rigid thinker, the um, overly resilient. Um, I'm just going to stay there. Rigid and overly resilient. It it, it it masquerades as being strong. And who doesn't want to be strong? We all want to be strong, right? right? But we want to be strong in ways that can't be eroded. And I, I talk I talk about this when I compare the concepts of self-efficacy versus self-esteem. Self-efficacy is that thing inside you that nobody can ever take away, and you confidently know that it's in there. Self-esteem is often driven by self-efficacy if you have good self-efficacy. But more often, we're taught that self-esteem is this external appearance of self-esteem. So it's your car, it's your home, it's your job, it's your clothing, it's whatever it is, your, your toys. Right. And all those things can go away. And, and if we notice that – if we look at like say uh, the concept in Buddhism of impermanence. So nothing in life is permanent. There, it's, it's all impermanent except for the things that you've already done, which is accomplishments, performances, uh, acquisition of knowledge, you know, those things aren't going to go away. The problem I, I think is that those things aren't uh, celebrated by society. And we, what we do celebrate is what we can see, what we can touch, what we can measure and quantify and put labels on. We don't, we don't really celebrate um, one's own internal self-worth. And I think that's the, that's the masculinity we want to be, uh, looking at and it's femininity too we'll go we'll go to the other end of the continuum because it is on a continuum there's not like some like rigid uh interpretation there's no there's not a set of criteria that define masculine and feminine but both masculinity and femininity i think need to be rooted in one's own self-confidence and here's the problem as i see it especially recently with the advent of social media and all the instant gratification culture and the and the and the clickbait and the and the customizability of everything is that we've we've become so enamored with disposable things representative of our identities that when those things disappear as they inevitably will we're left wondering who we are and who do we look at who do the, the three of us on the screen look at for people we want to look up to i'm going to guess that it's not people who are bragging about the impermanent things it's people who confidently rest in their own skill set and characterological traits However, those people usually are pretty humble too, and they're always growing, and they're always looking to learn more, and they're always looking to evolve. And I think that's what we, we need to start teaching people is like, let, let's get out of the realm of toxic versus passive or whatever. Like, just say, hey, what, what do you want to be and who do you want to represent yourself as that's unassailable, you know, and yeah. in the face of criticism so that you can quietly and confidently lead your home, your family, your peers, your, your employees – and you don't have to go out there and scream it with a bullhorn. And moreover, you don't have to tear down somebody else. That's insecurity to me. That's not that's not masculinity. That's that's insecurity. Yeah. And and I don't like it. It takes a lot more to to construct than it does to to deconstruct. 
I just tweeted about that this morning, so it's it's on my That's head. That's great. Yeah, I, I I just love that we're having this conversation because I'll be honest with you, as a man, I don't get this opportunity to talk to other men on this level, right? And be frank and be honest, and well, you know, well, it requires vulnerability, and vulnerability yeah. comes with risk. Risk of what? Pain, because if you open yourself up and be vulnerable, somebody can hurt you. So that that needs to be practiced more and we need to practice being vulnerable with people we know are going to be safe. And if, and if we get wounded by a a friend, we have to know and trust that that friend has our best self-interest in mind, that they're only wounding us to help correct some shadow that we don't see some blind spot. Right. Whereas, you know, our, our enemies will, will lavish praise of all kinds and uh, we won't ever grow from that. So if we can be vulnerable around trusted people and allow ourselves to be corrected in some areas that maybe aren't so healthy. Well, that's how that's how we all move forward. And it would be nice to have this kind of conversation more often. And if we if the three Absolutely. of us talking about this here gets picked up by the listening audience to go, yeah, yeah, okay, I got some friends I could be I could be open with. I could trust two or three people in my friend circle to to be vulnerable. Um, maybe that's where it starts. You know, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. So so bring, tying it all back to the gun world. That's that's what I see, and that's where the source kind of like one of the root causes of kind of like the backlash being you know targeted at me is that you know a lot of men in the gun world i mean you know the gun is such a projection of their psyche right yeah and they're so invested in that and so if anyone calls them out on it they're 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 they feel themselves personally threatened and their their male ego is being personally threatened and they're gonna they're gonna react yeah it's you know and i I hope we can have better ways of kind of having better dialogues than instantly, you know, reacting and lashing out at each other. I'm, I'm glad you, you brought know? up ego because ego serves as a defense to mm-hmm. keep us sane. It's, it's ego is yeah. not a bad thing. Ego is just is we all have them and we have them in different areas and so forth. So if you have a strong, healthy ego that allows new information to come in, what it, what it does is it allows you to take a look at the depth of who you could, could be potentially. Right. If you have a fragile ego, what it does is it defends against that and it keeps you locked into a certain worldview. And if you've conflated what you think with who you are, when what you think gets attacked, like, oh, this is the gun is me or whatever, when that gets attacked, it the brain feels like it interprets it as self getting attacked. And it's not true. It's just, it's just a belief. I mean, I can change my mind about stuff. But if we're not healthy enough to receive that new information and go, oh, maybe there's something else to consider that I haven't seen before, then we're going to get defensive and we're going to have a neurological response to that that says, look out, you're under attack. You're getting, de- you're getting attacked. Better, better fire back. Right. And that's, yeah. that's not healthy. Um, I want to know uh, what, if we may go back, I want to know more about the actual suicidal ideation that created the opportunity or caused you to go purchase mm-hmm. the gun and then what stopped you? Yeah. So, you know, uh, being in an Asian family, being the oldest, you know, son, there's always so much pressure put if you're the oldest Asian son, so much expectation, right? I'm supposed to do everything, be uber successful, be the role model for my brothers to follow. Right. My parents have sacrificed so much, and to have all that weight on your shoulders, it's just, it's, it's just crazy, you know, and uh, something's going to break and to be kicked out of university. And then now, you know, you know, half of me was actually relieved. I felt like I was leading a, leading a double life the whole time, <laughs> trying to please my parents, but knowing that I'm failing them at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, so half of me was relieved. And then the other half was like, well, 
uh, my whole self-identity has been tied to the fact that my parents ex- had this expectation for me and now there's there's nothing left what what is there to aim for right and so yeah the ideation was just man this is it's just end it let's just end it you know i bought that gun i'd, I'd written the notes uh farewell letters to my family and uh thinking over the process you know i thought how are they going to view me after the fact and i thought you know what they're gonna they're gonna feel sad and they're gonna you know that i chose this and they're gonna and they're gonna think oh well you know it's sad what tom did but he chose the easy way out mm. right mm-hmm. and so that started a whole other inner conversation in my head i'm like wait a minute you know my dad may think i'm a loser but one thing i'm not is i'm not a quitter that's for sure right and then i started realizing hey now that my dad has no expectation of me i'm suddenly free i can do whatever i want I don't, I don't need to care what my dad thinks of me anymore. Wow. Right. And the only way, only direction from hitting rock bottom is what? Right. Up. Anything I do from now on is going to be for me. Right. And no, no judgment. Right. I don't care if my dad thinks I'm a loser, but what I'm not is I'm not a quitter. Right. I'm not going to take the easy way out. The harder thing to do would be to pick myself up and keep on living. So that's the, that was the decision I made. That was the realization I came to. Did you keep the gun? No. It was a crappy gun, guys. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't. It was a Ruger, what, Ruger P90? You guys, you guys a budget gun I could afford. So wh- what was the story after that? Like, So you, you got rid of it, and then how many years was it until you found your way back into the firearms community or, or just even bought a gun and didn't get into the community? Right. So... I still always had guns after that point because because I witnessed that gang homicide, I had to testify in court. And I actually got death threats because of being a witness. And so, you know, I always had guns around. Uh, one of the first things I did to kind of better myself after this whole uh, period of my life was I started taking martial arts, Aikido. And that helped build my self-esteem. Um, finding a community to empower myself, learning something new. And one of, one of the students I made friends with, he is an avid gun owner. He'd been shooting guns since he was nine years old, right? And we became shooting buddies. And he, he actually taught me a lot about guns I didn't know. And so he became my go-to. And we still talk to this day. We still go shooting to this day. It's been decades of friendship, really thankful. He's so I finally found a good influence when it came to firearms. Okay. And, you know, took training classes, did that whole bit. And so, yeah, I, I, I went on to have a very positive uh, experience with firearms after that in, in a, in a right way. When did you, cause I think a lot of people, when they hear the term like liberal gun owner, their, mm-hmm. their head wants to explode because they can't wrap their, their mind around it. Right. When did you realize, like, I'm a liberal and I also am into firearms and, and I don't believe in certain restrictions and you know what I mean? Yeah. I, like, how, how did that come about? Yeah, well, I think what helped was because I don't I didn't consider myself so much a liberal in my in those years, my early years with guns. You know, I didn't know much about myself anyway. Right. Um, I didn't do that much self-reflection. But because I had that background in guns, both good and bad, because I was that intimately familiar with guns. 
when I would see gun control laws passed, I could recognize, wait a minute, that really is ineffective, right? That doesn't really address what's going on. So I think if you're a liberal, to be, able, to be a liberal gun owner, it's because you have enough familiarization with guns that you can see through the politics of gun control. You can rationalize and be critical and see that, oh, this is just politics. It's political expediency. You know, it's a convenience for politicians to kind of think that this is a quick fix to satisfy the crowd, but it really doesn't address the root issue, right? It just affects law-abiding citizens. It doesn't affect criminals' ability to keep on doing what they've always done with guns, right? I think that's the difference is, is as liberal gun owners, we've we, we been around guns to, and, and actually, you know, we, we have uh, conservative gun, gun friends, you know, as long as we don't talk politics, we get along great talk about guns right and yeah i mean my brothers i don't think they're as liberal as i am and absolutely their friends are conservative gun owners but when we just go and shoot you know right? we're 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 thick as thieves around guns as long as politics stay out of it so just when talking about guns and gun issues we are in we are in agreement with 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 the gun control and why it's it's, it's usually very misinformed and as a liberal gun instructor uh, as part of the lesson, once I've demystified these stigmatized guns, I ask students, I tell them, hey, now that you're better educated, I want you to be more critical about gun control. You're a more informed person now, right? You, you don't just fall easily for what the media and the politicians are saying. You need to use your critical thinking skills and your knowledge about firearms to question these laws and actually ask yourself if they will actually do what they're intended to do or not. And in many ways, your voice... The, the liberal gun owning voice is now the most important one. Um, I, and I truly believe that. And I've seen it actually, <laughs> I've seen it work, right? Um, Jake knows it's a, not stuff that we can go out and brag about, but connecting people to some liberal gun owners and making them open up their mind and, and changing their perspective of the way they saw things. And, and when I say this, like I need the listening audience to know, especially our conservative uh, gun owning uh you know, listening audience to understand that when you you send somebody that can identify with somebody uh, in the realm of everything else they believe, and they they put forth the information about these firearm laws and and point out how racist they can be or you know elitist they can be, um, it really the messenger has you know makes a difference. The messenger does make a difference. Um, the, the staunch conservative pride from my cold dead hand guy, he may be saying the exact same thing, right? The exact same thing, but it's not going to come off as, as, as sincere as it is from somebody who says like, wait, I'm an, I'm a liberal, like, and there's a liberal gun owner now, like blowing my mind, um, pointing out like this, this gun law is racist. Like, wow. You know, um, I, and we've seen it happen, right? We, we've definitely seen it happen and vice versa, right? You just, you wouldn't, you wouldn't send a, a, the liberal gun owner in to talk to the necessarily the most conservative person, right? That was going to let the politics get in the way of the message. Um, you know, I, I, how did you, when you, <laughs> cause these, these things fascinate me. Like you come into the community, you, you're, you're, you're very positive, <laughs> You're like, hey, I'm in L.A., I'm Asian, I'm doing all this work, you know, I'm getting all these different people to come through. And then you run into, uh, you say, like, I, I'm going to identify with the other Asian gun people. 
<laughs> then when you're in there and you kind of point out something like, you know, maybe, hey, we should rethink this way or that's an old stereotypical way of looking at things. And then all of a sudden the blowback, like how, take me through your mental process. <laughs> I mean, there's a, there's a sense of a right cross, right? Like I walked in here thinking that I was going to be right. like, no, absolutely. Absolutely. I was like, Hey, I found my tribe. Right. I mean, what the whole reason why I started LA progressive shooters was because as I was trying to find other fellow, you know, representation matters, like you said, Jake, um, I mean, I'm sorry, Mike. And yeah, you just, it's just human. Like you want to find out folks that actually look like you have the same lifestyle right? That you kind of can bond with a little bit better, right? I went, I went looking for an Asian gun group online before I formed my community. And it was the, the rooftop uh, Asians group. And I'm in there. And from day one, the posts that were in there, it was so racist, like so anti-Black. And, you know, some were very homophobic. And I'm like, you know what, guys, you guys are racist as fuck. Like, I'm out of here. <laughs> I'm up. You have. There's nothing for me here. There's nothing for me here. And you know what? I was so vocal about it when I left that an Asian woman who was in the group, she privately messaged me after that. And she says, you know what? I've been in this group for a long time. I've always been silent because I thought I was the only liberal Asian gun owner. Like she didn't feel like she had a voice. She couldn't express anything because it was so conservative male dominated. And so she and I, we talked and we said, you know what, let's just form our own group. We don't need them. And that's how we formed LA Progressive Shooters. It was, you know, what? It, it's like, if you don't find what you need, go build it. Right. Amen. Like make, make the thing that you want. Right. Like be the change. Right. Yeah. Like, and we said, you know what, we don't need that. We'll just form this community. And then literally it took off. People started finding out and joining us and saying, thank God. You guys exist. Like there's this group that's inclusive, right? And I'll tell you what, these uh, Asian gun groups that are bashing me, right? The, the Asian folks that seek me out as an instructor, who are they? They're mostly Asian women. They're mostly Asian queer folks. They're mostly Asian uh, gender nonconforming folks because these folks just do not feel welcome in an Asian gun space. Right? It's not enough that you're Asian in these spaces. You have to be, you know, a conservative male. Hmm. And it's not inclusive at all. They want to say they want to say it's inclusive, right? And it's a hypocrisy because as as the Asian community, we want to be seen as more than just this monolithic group, right? We're always clamoring just to be seen as more than just perpetual foreigner, right? We want to be seen with more nuance, with more dimensionality than just this one-sided, you know, view of what Asians are. So we want that nuance, but as soon as I show my nuance, no, you're not welcome. <laughs> right, right. And I, I want to lead into kind of uh, one of the hot topics uh, that's that's surrounding your controversy, right, is uh, is the, the image of the Asian uh, business owner on top of the roof, right? You right. had a little bit of a different take then I guess what the norm would be. And of course, you know, you speak out and then it becomes like you versus Cobra Kai uh, while you're in these 
<laughs> no. Every that's what I always love. Like when I would go to the ammo, like I love going to ammo land. I never will go in the comment section again because every time I, I Jake knows this, every time I go into ammo land comments, I felt like Daniel LaRusso going into Cobra Kai and asking for karate lessons. It was like they all looked at me like, we're going to kill this dude, you know, and then they gang up. And it's just like that, you know, yeah. it's the perfect echo chamber for them. And I get it. Right. Like, uh, and in some weird way, we need those dudes uh, because you, they help your business, right? They, 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 when people know that there's an alternative and there's another place they can go, right? Um, when, when, when I have the staunch pride for my cold dead hands, like we will not talk about mental health people and da, 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 da. And the mental health people are like, Hey, I can't talk to that dude, but I can talk to you, Mike. You seem, <laughs> you know, like that helps actually uh, get something done. Like in my opinion. Right? Like I can't, I can't, I almost need that guy next to me shouting like that because it makes it easier for me to kind of get that captive audience from the people that don't understand that guy. And like, they're like, I don't understand guns, but I want to hear the information being passed from you, Mike, because you seem like I can say something and you won't tell me I'm an idiot. Right. Or I'm stupid. So let's go back to that that meme, what's your philosophy on that? Cause that is kind of interesting. Cause I, I think a lot of gun people would naturally look at a meme of the Asian gun uh, or store owner defending his property, getting up on that roof and pushing back. Right. Yeah. And, and, that's and that's, and that's, that's, that's history. That's fine. As a historical element, that is what happened and that's fine. Right. But what has happened is, is you've taken this episode of history and now it's been boosted up and, and glamorized, right, by a lot of the uh, conservative Asian gun community as this very simplistic narrative that they keep pushing as, oh, we're on our own, Asian community against Black community, right? And now that we have these Asian hate uh, incidents, they're still boosting that narrative as it's always going to be perpetually Asian community against Black community. Right. And that's just that's just too simplistic that that's and, and my critique is, yeah, that's history. That's what happened. But can we like get deeper into the root issue of why that happened? Right. Can we talk about why the LAPD chose to defend Hollywood and Beverly Hills and why they drew the, the line there to protect wealthy white neighborhoods and didn't want to protect Korean neighborhoods? Right. If you want to criticize who was against you, why don't we criticize LAPD? Why don't we criticize the system inequality that's existed throughout the history of this country that pits one community color against the other community color? Why don't we do that, right? Why don't we get to those root issues and then acknowledge that the way forward is for our communities to understand the root and start collaborating and working together? Because this is 1992, folks. I spent my 10 years uh, documenting different communities of color in LA. I have a whole different other blog, folks. That that's my work. Community building. Like I said, I've been in the black community for 10 years, right? And 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 other Asian folks, and that's generational. That the, the, the older uh, the older you are in the Asian community, you're gonna be conservative. It's generational. The millennial, the younger Asian kids now, we everybody's vibing and being in each other's uh, different communities. We all have different friendships now. It's not us versus them anymore. Like that is so that is so ancient history, right? That's my critique, right? And and this is so the rooftop Asians and and their whole constant trying to frame it as just a very simplistic one community against another. 
is is not my reality. It doesn't represent me as as an Asian person who who has friendships and meaningful, you know, uh, partnerships uh, with other communities. I don't frame it in that way, and it doesn't represent a lot of us. And I'll give you one really good example. I've made friendships with uh, a great group of folks in Minneapolis. It's a new gun group. They're only on Facebook. They started again in the pandemic, and the Facebook group is called. Uh, people of color who favor the Second Amendment. It was started by two people, a black man and a Hmong woman from the Hmong community in Minneapolis. That's one of the biggest uh, concentrated communities of the of the Laotian Hmong community. And it's grown to over 4,000 members. That's how quickly this group has grown. And that story, I want you folks to see a different side of what black and Asian gun solidarity looks like. That community, you have regular community meetups of Black and Asian folks learning to train firearms together. New gun owners, all new gun owners, helping each other, backing each other, right? That's the modern narrative of race relations between Asians and Black folks in the gun community that I'm for. I'm not for this tired you know, narrative of roof, rooftop uh, Asians and, and the glorification of it, right? I'm fine with it that is at, for its history. Yeah, I respect the history. But, you know, it's, it's the way they keep boosting it as, as kind of like this, this way to divide communities is something that I don't agree with. And that's what really launched the whole tirade against me. Do you, do you think that they, people do that on purpose? I mean, is there, is there, cause I'll, I'll, I'll admit like as, as gun owners, right? Like we, we, we do, some of it's a wet dream for people to be able to actually like use their firearm and defend mm-hmm. their business. Like they fantasize about that. You get it. Yeah. All the time. Oh, You're, totally. Oh, I wish those looters would come by my place. They get oh, it's exactly, exactly. Totally. It's, it's a, and it's like that over macho dream of wanting to be the protector, the warrior. Right. And again, it's, I don't think that's the most healthy way to express, uh, you know, our relationship with firearms. Right. And, and there are people that get turned off by it. I'm turned off by it. And the people that 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 also feel the same will resonate with me, and other people that find that rooftop Asians resonates with them. That's fine for them. You know, there's there's room for differing opinions here. I, I love that we're just called we're rooftop Asians. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the rooftop Asians. <laughs> you know. <laughs> we about to break into a new Christmas song there. <laughs> like. You, you guys know what I did? Like, I'm so I'm not a rooftop Asian. I'm the water, I'm the free water Asian. Okay. Because when they had Black Lives Matter protests and my group was new, LA Progressive Shooters in June, I went to, to BLM protests with a cart of water with Cashwood signs, LA Progressive Shooters, free water, stay hydrated. I care about you. That's awesome. You know, that's, the, that's, that's what I stand for as the firearms community. It's not just about guns. It's about helping your community folks. You know, it's, you know, guns kind of transcends. The, the main thing about my mission is we're just here to empower folks to be safe and responsible and be able to defend themselves with whatever means that they, that they're comfortable with. That's right. I, th- I think Kevin Dixie's uh, tagline, no other choice really comes in uh, quite poignantly because it's, I don't, I don't know any gun owners. I've, I've scenes of these people online, but I don't know any gun owners who are actively itching for civil war. Um, anybody who's experienced war that I, that I know, it's the last thing they want. And nobody wants to discharge their firearm in, in a, 
in any situation. We don't we don't want to take life. We don't want to hurt people. We don't, I mean, it's the last resort. It's truly the last resort after you've extended absolutely every grace possible, right? And and so you know that's unfortunate and all that. But I mean, I want to go somewhere else with this. While we're getting our hands dirty with you know race relations talk, we might as well go all the way in. Um, I'm curious. I didn't know that about you that you'd chronicled race relations. Uh, on, I want to read your blog actually. Now that now that you're mentioned, what is it? How can people see that? By the way, yeah. The, so the blog is called Enclave L A E N C L A V E dot L A. Uh, there's a website, and uh, I'm more active on uh, Instagram. Okay. But basically what I've been doing is I've been documenting really like the um, arts, culture events, social justice events happening in different communities of color in L.A. Because as mm-hmm. a global city, uh, communities of color are still very invisible, right? So, so, that's that's where I wanted to go with this. So, yeah. okay, maybe it's maybe it's my, you know, um, my white privilege talking. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm... I'm I'm really struggling to see the race conflict in real life. I see it manufactured by media for sure because it generates yeah. attention. But yeah. I see it more and I'm not saying there isn't a conflict and I'm not saying people aren't silenced. They are. But I'm not seeing it along race lines. I'm seeing it along class lines. And we know that class and yeah. race happen to, you know, bifurcate. Absolutely. So but, now we're talking about yeah, like how you you admit, you know, Maybe you're, you're a little privileged or, you know, it's, it's a different uh, way of thinking. And, and I live in northern Nevada, which is pretty insulated, yeah. you know. Class is very much a part of it because guess what? If you want to know about nuance in Asian community, well, it's usually the privileged, wealthier Asian folks that are more conservative, um, more successful. Um, and then myself, Vietnamese, the, the, the Laotian community I just spoke of, the Cambodian community, the ones that we arrived at re- as refugees – we have suffered, you know, immense poverty and, and social issues and juvenile delinquency. We're not the uber successful model minority, right? So there's this dichotomy between, you know, East Asians and Southeast Asians. And yeah, we have different lived experiences for sure and, and class issues. Um, the Cambodian community I'm very close to in Long Beach, you know, they're one of the strongest uh, part of the hip hop community because they've grown up alongside the black community. The oh. bonds between the Cam- Cambodian black community are so strong in Long Beach, huh. right? Whereas if you ask East Asians, I don't think East Asians grow up around black folks, right? The folks that, that kind of boost up rooftop Asians, I can guarantee most of these folks don't uh, really commiserate or spend any time participating in any other communities because they're so insular. So it's easy for them to fall into that narrative, right? For any for any Asian person who actually has meaningful friendships with black folks, you can't be okay with these people. Right. Period. Is because right? it, it's so cartoonish. Yeah, and I don't want to invite like tinfoil hat talk here, but I'm trying to figure out. I'm trying to wrap my head around why we're still getting the the narrative that this country is all divided. When I'm I'm just not having those conversations. I'm, I'm just I'm just not. I'm seeing I'm seeing Twitter blow up with it. But it's not reflective of real life in in my world. And again, I, I'm in Northern Nevada. You know, our diversity is much less. But well, I'm trying I'll, to figure I'll out what the agenda with here you. is. I mean, I'll be honest with you. This the, the the you know the Trump presidency has divided a lot of communities along familial lines. Oftentimes, uh, a significant portion of the Vietnamese community, you know, 
were in support of Trump. And the day of the Capitol insurrection, I saw lots of South Vietnamese flags waving in the air out in that crowd. Okay. So it, it has been very divisive for a lot of communities of color along along those lines of our politics and who we're supporting. So yeah, it has been very divisive. What what's the what's the answer? Because to me the answer is not more corporatized uh, diversity, equity, inclusion training. That sounds it seems contrived. It comes across as just box checking. It's not authentic. It's not sincere. And I don't know what the answer is. If if this is real and and, and people are really feeling like I don't know if I want to talk to that guy because he looks like that, and it's actual real racial based suspicion. What? How do we? How do we fix it? Yeah, I don't have the answers, Jake. I, I you know, there's no easy answers. Obviously, yeah. we all have our different uh, lived experiences. Uh, one thing is, just, it's going to have to be just generational, right? Just mm-hmm. as we've seen, um, the fact that Black Lives Matter this past year found such a groundswell of support across all racial communities right. was a huge step, and you wouldn't have seen that even ten years ago because of the generational changes, right? So one is just generational. The conservative attitudes that are held by an aging population will just continue to dwindle. Yeah. And a more open-minded, tolerant mindset of our younger folks will come to dominate the national conversation, right? So optimistically for me, it will take time. It, 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 it's always a march of time. Progress is a march of time, right? Do you, do you, think, um, we're, do you think we're pulling toward uh, transpartisanship and centrism or is the pendulum got to swing a few more times before we see true cohesion? You know what? That we were having this conversation, Jake, like, like uh, before the Trump presidency. I would have been more optimistic, but the fact of the Trump presidency for me, as a as an immigrant who's lived here the majority of my life, forty five years now, mm. I never would have I never would have expected to see the race relations and the vitriol and the open bigotry be as accepted almost like so many steps backward in the way we dialogue with each other right i never would have thought it would go backward so that pendulum swinging back and forth in two extremes like yeah all bets are off it, yeah. you know it's yeah yeah jake one of the things too because like i know you right like we are friends we talk every day we're there's not a day that goes by where we don't communicate at least by text you do a good job of unplugging from the negativity and you've always been good at that. So like you've said, Hey man, I'm going to be off social media for a couple of weeks. And I think that helps. Yeah. I think that helps with your view. I think it helps because you're not getting obsessed with the, the dumb stuff that is put up there. Right. Like the bait. Right. Um, you're better at, better at it than I am much better. Um, well, that's a new but, thing. I will say it's a new thing. I mean, I, I and that's why I, I try to like my my internet experience and my real life experience are not the same. And I don't know if that's because the and I'm talking to people right here in my community, not just not not nationally, but it's like I see I see friends that I've known for years post certain things. And I'm like, really, like really, or are you, or are you just regurgitating something? I, I don't know. I, I truly don't know if there's you know negative looks being given in Costco. I don't I don't know. So I just, I just unplug because I'm like, I don't, I don't need this in my psyche. But thank you for the compliment. But it is new. It's something I'm trying to work on because I need to be at peace for my own family and my own business. Right. And I think, Tom, know. that's that, – I mean, you yeah. had to go that route recently as well, right? Like, um, 
it's coming to the reality of like, Hey, okay. You know, I'm, I'm not for the rooftop Asian thing. Um, I don't think that's the way now I want nuance in this conversation. Okay. I threw some nuance out there. I just got hit in the face for it. You know what I mean? It, it, you either stay and you just flame <laughs> yeah. fan, uh, flam, uh, fan the flames or you say, fan Hey, the flames. Yeah. yeah. Or you say like, look, I got to move on. Right. And bygones, <laughs> you know, deuces, whatever. Um, it, you know, at some point I think, because one thing I, I, I appreciate the support from, from everyone who identifies with the liberal gun owner. Right. Um, because I think that that's what it's all about. Like I wanted to create a space where we didn't have to, you know, do the crip or blood thing. Right. We're not going to have to do the red or blue thing. Like we could just kind of like save lives and everything like that. Um, but one of the things that I've always kind of been aware of is I'm like, wow, well, these conversations aren't going to go good, you know, because my life pretty much in the firearms industry was two separate lives. It was my firearms industry life and then who I hung around with when I went home, right? Like who I grew up with in my neighborhoods. And um, they're two completely different things. But I've always been able to go in and back and forth, have these nuanced conversations. I always say like if, if, the, if the people that were the loudest in all these different groups and cliques and um, influencers knew that a lot of these firearm manufacturers – have a lot of nuanced thought, right? That they don't always fit this, this narrative that has been created as the gun owner, you know, um, they would be super surprised because it's amazing what you can, when people will go like, you know, if I had a dollar for every time I heard this, I would never say this publicly, but right. And I'm looking at this person going, wow, you're like one of the major players of this major gun company. <laughs> And, and I get it. Right. And I'm not going to go, I'm not there to expose them, but that's their personal opinion. You know, um, it's really funny. You know, you think about, you think about this, the gun gun community as a whole, right? Like we, 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 as the gun community always want the Republican who's going to protect gun rights, but that Republican is the same one that could put most of us out of business. Right. Because history shows us when there's a Democrat in power, our sales go through the roof. And when there's a Republican in power, like nothing happens to us and sales tank. So you think like you got to choose what you believe in sometimes like your freedom and freedom for others or like feeding your family. Yeah. It's, it's a weird space to be caught in. Uh, it doesn't. Right. And I'm, I, yeah. And I always get asked by conservative uh gun rights folks that are really adamant about being pro 2A. And they're like, how can you be a liberal gun owner? Like, how can you be pro 2A and then vote for Biden? Right? It doesn't make sense. Like you're you're that's so like hypocritical. And folks just folks just a lot of gun rights folks can't understand that as liberal gun owner, I'm not a single issue voter. Right? Gun rights isn't the end all be all that I care about. Right. There's more to life than gun. I mean, gun rights are important. Don't get me wrong. I'm pro 2A. But there's health issues I, I care about, too. People getting you know access to health care and, and that includes mental health. Right. There's a lot of social issues I care about. Right. Immigration. Right. Obviously, a lot of us who have been shut down due to COVID. We worry about our jobs. There's so many other issues that affect me personally on, on an everyday basis, as well as folks I see in my community. 
that's what guides my voting, right? So I think people just need to accept that a lot of us are just not single issue voters. We, we care about up, uplifting this country in so many facets than just gun rights, you know? I want to ask... I want to ask about um, your clientele. So are you finding yourself training, and there's a purpose to this based on what was just mm-hmm. exchanged. Are you finding that you're training more new gun owners than current gun owners? Absolutely. Okay. I would say 90% of my folks are totally first-time gun owners, never touched a gun. Um, so yeah. so that that leads me to ask this or at least just propose this if more liberal slash progressive gun owners are coming into existence and I, and we have a survey from second amendment organization recently that, that backs this up. Um, doesn't that kind of act as a, as a, as a firewall against any sort of gun control? Because now you got both sides of the political spectrum saying nobody wants this stuff. And the survey absolutely is, it was, it was a thousand people, 51% yeah. of whom voted for Biden and 72% of which all favored no gun control in either yeah. strongly or, or moderately. Absolutely. And because we have a Biden presidency, it's time for liberal gun owners to be more vocal about our presence, right. our existence right. and, and educate more of our community. We, like Mike said, we're the ones that people are going to listen to now. So I might so, dare say yeah. it actually gives more space to vote for more of the liberal slash progressive candidates because you don't have to worry about your gun rights anymore. I mean, I'm leapfrogging, of course, in my logic mm-hmm. here. But if that's the case and we keep building more and more of a firearms owning constituency broadly across America, whether or not they're in the closet or out, uh, the, the, the surveys are going to come through in some form or another. And it's going to send a real clear message that the Second Amendment is not to be toyed with. You know, go go ahead yeah. with your with your social justice issues and and all the you know the healthcare policy issues and all that stuff. But you're you're going to leave the two A alone, right? And that's that's actually right. encouraging to gun owners, I would think. Right. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. It's. I just I just hope that we have that you know healthier dialogue around gun control and gun rights. Right. That that you know just aren't trying to hammer into people's heads. Right. Um, but do in a way that that they can digest in, in a rational way. Right. That we can have these 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 tolerant, rational discussions, because that's how you're going to get folks to see that and not just trying to hammer the point away. You know, like it's been done in the past. Can we touch on because I'm thinking people are listening and they may be on the fence about, you know, whether or not to explore this issue further. You talk about how. uh your group came into existence with your, your partner wanting to, you know, possibly carry down the road or own, own a gun. Yeah. Yeah. The Genesis was right before the pandemic happened. I hadn't touched a gun guys in 15 years uh, before last year, but yeah, the Genesis, the seed was planted when someone I cared deeply about was about to embark on uh, living the van life. You know, she wanted to travel on the road. And as a young woman, I told her, I said, listen, I, I haven't touched a gun in 15 years, but I want you to be empowered. You know, we never want to think the worst, but you by yourself, I'd rather you have a gun and never need it than need one and not have it. Right. And she had always been traumatized just through her history of losing friends to suicide by gun. As a young black woman, she'd been physically assaulted twice by police. 
So a gun is automatically triggering for her. It's traumatic, brings up all these you know, negative experiences. And the fact that, you know, she's, and she allows me to share this story openly. Um, you know, she's had suicidal thoughts, right? She wouldn't even trust herself with a gun. And so I never pressured her. I said, well, the offer's stance, it's on the table, right? Whether you want to or not, no, no pressure, no judgment. And she came around and she thought, you know what? Maybe I should learn. And it started baby steps, Jake. Uh, I brought out a rubber gun. I said, show her the parts of the rubber gun, right? How to hold it, the stance, this and that. She got a little bit comfortable with that. The next step was, here's an actual gun, but no ammo. Don't worry. Let's take it apart. Let me show you how it works and what each, what each of these little parts do. And I could see like the light bulb start going off in her head. She was like, wait a minute. That's all a gun is? That's how it works? And you know, the natural human curiosity takes over. And she's like, oh, okay. And then this is how you rack it. This is how you load it. And this, was, this took a span of three months, okay? Right before the pandemic to right December, right before the pandemic, after three months of this baby steps and holding her hand, being really supportive, being, you know, absolutely just patient. She finally gave me permission to take her to a shooting range. And she took her first shots. And I made sure I bought a, a 22 caliber pistol just for her so she wouldn't be intimidated by the big recoil, right? Pew, pew, pew. Her first few shots, she turned around. This is before we had to wear a mask. And she had the biggest grin on her face, like, this is fun. And that week, we went to five different shooting ranges throughout LA, Orange counties, so I could show her what each range was like. And she got it. To see a transformation from someone who was so frightened and intimidated by guns to the end of month three, she actually went on a, uh, a weekend trip with me and my brothers who were all avid uh, shooters. And one of my proudest moments was a picture of her next to her RV with that 22 caliber pistol in her waistband in a holster, right? And she was like, I get it now. I, 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 I still don't really care about guns, but I know that I could be confident as a woman on the road to defend myself if I need to, right? And that was such a huge leap. And it was so inspirational for me that I decided, you know what? I'm not ashamed that I taught her to shoot a gun and to see her transformation. I'm going to post this on my blog of 11,000 followers, right? My Enclave LA. I'm going to post it up. No caption, right? I'm just going to see what happens. And I was fully expecting this huge pushback. People going, what the hell are you doing? Right? And people unfollowing me. Yeah. I was so surprised, Jake, that the opposite happened. One of my dearest friends from a band, one of the most humble guys you ever meet, a drummer, excellent drummer. He messages me and he says, Tom, you shoot guns? <laughs> like with the incredulous, right? You of all people like shoot guns? Listen, I bought a gun to defend myself and my wife. I, I hate guns, but I bought it. I don't even know how to use it. Can you teach me? Wow. And there you go. That's how it started. Folks who were so turned off by guns, they felt like I, I need to get one. I just, I'm still scared of it. I don't know what to do with it. And I'm too intimidated by gun spaces to go ask for help. Because I so that whole pro-gun, militaristic, right. hyper-macho space is so such a turnoff to me. Yeah. Like who do I turn to? So my first students were people who personally knew me because they knew, yo, if Tom, if that peaceful guy, Tom, if he's into guns, then that's gonna change my thinking. Maybe I should give a second thought. 
like he's the only guy I'm comfortable enough to even begin to ask the question, you know? So that's how it started. That's incredible. That's incredible. Yeah. yeah you make up, you make a great point as well. Like just, and people need to understand this in the firearms community that are into the gun. And they're also into the legislation part, right. And protecting the constitution. Not every person that buys a gun is going to identify with you and your cause. There are a lot of people that will buy that gun and they won't want anything to do with that legislative fight because they bought that gun for their own protection and they don't want to make a big deal about it, but we need to respect that too. Exactly. Exactly. Absolutely. We don't all have to be like rabid about gun rights to own a gun. And no, and not a lot of folks are like that. They just want the gun for whatever purpose that they want it for. That's a great point. I'm, I'm really glad you mentioned that because I, I feel myself sometimes pulled in all these directions with, with what I do. Cause I wear a lot of hats and, and so forth. And I've always traditionally participated in as many community endeavors as possible. Cause I don't know. I want to, I want to heal the world, but, um, we, we have to know where our influence is properly extended and, and, you know, somebody else can go fight that. I don't, I don't, I don't need to be, I personally, Jake Wiskirchen, don't need to be standing on some stump shouting with my fist in the air about legislation and policy. Um, let Firearms Policy Coalition go do that. You know what I mean? Let, 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 let the lobbyists do that. I need to stay in my own lane, and that's not a pejorative. I know it's been used as a pejorative before. But knowing what you're really good at matters because you can be maximally effective in that area. As opposed to yes. splintering yourself off into a bunch of different things. And believe me, I feel, I've felt the tug before. I mean, I have a huge heart for the homeless population. That ain't my calling. And if, and if I get distracted going that direction, uh, it, something else is going to erode. And, my, and my, I won't be maximally effective somewhere else. So, like, I've got a lot of heart for a lot of things. And I go back to, like, Stephen Covey, I think, had the circle of influence and the circle of concern. And it's like stay where you're most influential. And, and, and that's a great point that, you know, just cause somebody bought a gun to, to defend themselves or their family, or just wants to like get into hobbying doesn't mean they need to sign on for the whole package. Right? They don't need to like go decorate it and, and soup it up and see how fast it can shoot. <laughs> like, like that's just leave them alone. Like welcome them into the fold and, and right. leave them alone. <laughs> right. No, absolutely. And you're, you hit the nail on the head. So I, I know exactly who I'm here to serve. Right. You know, I don't advertise myself. And yeah, one of the criticisms from the Asian uh, conservative gun communities, they, 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 they accuse me of just uh, clout chasing and using this whole thing as a marketing ploy. Oh, yeah, that's a brilliant marketing ploy, turning off 80% of the gun world. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be called bad brilliant. names. Yeah. I want my cu- customers to be able to find these things. <laughs> yeah, genius, genius. Yeah, I couldn't have thought of anything better. But yeah, I... I know exactly what I'm here to serve, right? I'm here to serve, you know, folks that just find guns intimidating and find gun space intimidating. I'm your non-judgmental, non-intimidating guy. I'm a regular guy. I'm not ex-law enforcement, ex-military. I'm not a Navy SEAL, you know? I'm just a regular person. I have these imperfections with guns and my early experiences that, that compel me to do better and be better as both a gun owner and a gun instructor to make sure that you don't go down those same paths, right? I'm here to empower you to be safe and responsible, right? Based on my own experiences, I'm not ashamed to share those experiences because I want to let folks know, right? The full truth, right? I don't glamorize anything, but I don't hold back on the reality of guns and what they are. 
be safe, be responsible. It's a big responsibility. Do I think everyone should own guns? No, I don't. Right? Until you can accept that huge responsibility. And 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 yeah, that's that's all I'm trying to do. And the folks that don't need me, that's fine. I'm 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 not here for everyone. Right? I'm here for a very specific group of folks that can't find help otherwise. I appreciate the crap out of that. That is what I was talking about with a healthy ego, by the way, where you know who you are and you're comfortable there. And you don't and, and that allows you to withstand the storms too, right? Thank you. Um, if you're if you're firmly anchored in your own belief system, then it doesn't matter what what winds blow. You, you're not going to blow away with them. That's 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 edifying to me. So thank you, Tom, for that. Oh, thank you. It really has been a pleasure talking to both of you and and giving me a platform to just, you know, we're all in it for the same reason, right? We just all want people to be healthy, right? right? Be well, healthy around. And that's a good segue. Yep. Because I always wrap it up. We always wrap it up with this one question. Uh, how do you tend to your mental health? How do I tend to my mental health? Um, well, I mean, before I came back to the gun world, I was covering the arts. I love to dance. I'm a dorky dancer, right? I don't care. I'm usually the first guy on the dance floor just because it takes that first person to get the party started, right? And, you know, people are surprised to find out that I'm an introvert, guys. I'm an introvert. And one of the ways to to constantly challenge myself to stay outside my comfort zone and to keep growing as an individual, which is part of my self-care, is to just try to be that person, right? Go outside my comfort zone. Be the first guy on the dance floor, even if people laugh at me. I don't care, right? So that's my self-care, is just try to enjoy life and not care who, who's watching and who's judging you, right? Life is too short to care about people that whose judgment doesn't really even matter in the end, right? The people whose opinion do matter to me, that's who I care about. Folks like Jake, Mike, you two, and you know, Rob Pincus, Randy Mayan, all the folks in the gun industry that are you know, going against the grain for a positive good is who I care about. So you know, thank you for giving me a, a chance to speak to you today. Yeah, I, I have three reflections on that. One, I, I, it's amazing how many introverts we've had on this podcast um, who just like, speak like you wound them up and they just go it's like well you're an introvert that's weird um the second is that's the first time somebody has said that uh the arts and dancing are their uh are their self-care but also it was fascinating to me to hear you say that tending to your mental well-being involves pushing yourself out of your comfort zone i think a lot of times we think that's paradoxical but it's it's not it's that's oh. pretty cool that's really yeah. neat how do people find you uh, they can go to my website, laprogressiveshooters.com. I know it's a mouthful. Just spell it all out, laprogressiveshooters.com. Or they can find us on social media, Facebook and Instagram, la.progressive.shooters. Cool. And awesome. uh, if I'm a rooftop Asian, I could find you at all those places. <laughs> <laughs> Only if you're a mimetic rooftop Asian. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, listen, like I said, agree or disagree, you know, I'm going to keep doing my thing and the people that get it, get it. And, you know, we, we can only do the best that we can, right, guys? Yes, absolutely. And amen. And hope, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So honestly, I think I think I never would have thought about it. And, and this conversation today has made me think about it because I always kind of just chalked it up to, Hey, I defend in their place, but you know, you made me look deeper into it. Um, 
you're right. The the Asian community, the black community, there's a, it's been splintered for a long time. And, um, you know, we're not going to change anything by staying the, the, the way we are. That's what I always say with mental health, right? Like when people right. are like, you know what you're doing? Because what, what we're doing now doesn't work. It hasn't. Suicides are on the rise. So we got to, yeah. you know. It's, it's almost like Jake, um, you know, as a mental health professional, it's almost like that traumatic incident in your life that you're constantly rehashing over and over and bringing it up yep. to kind of justify your current behavior, right? Yeah. Instead of laying it healthy in a healthy way to rest and move yeah. forward. That's kind of like an analogy I like to use too. Yeah, no, you're, you're right. You're absolutely right. Well, Tom Wynn, uh, Tom Nguyen, <laughs> depending on uh, your culture, I guess you could pronounce it multiple ways, but we sure. Yeah, it's all fine by me. And, um, and I think in closing, not only do we want to thank our sponsors, Arms Corps and Zephyr Wellness, but I want to make an, a final comment that this this is what masculinity looks like. If you're looking for masculinity, this is what it looks like. Tom, I appreciate you beyond words, and I'm glad that we were able to have this discussion. I think the audience is going to find it just as educational and uplifting as I did. Uh, it's encouraging to know people that you were out there doing what you're doing. And I, uh, I welcome you back anytime, and I hope that we stay in touch. Thanks again to our listening audience. Please share this around. All this information doesn't do any good locked up in our heads. So uh, tell a friend and we'll hopefully make Earth better together. On behalf of the Walk the Talk America family, we wish you all great mental wellness. Bye-bye. It takes a lot more to, to construct than it does to, to deconstruct.